that refuses, no matter the circumstances, no matter the setting, no matter the company you're keeping that night, we refuse to sing American Pie for karaoke. Come on, people. Everybody's better than that. Nobody deserves a 10-minute song. Amanda, what are we doing? <laughs> it was uh, it was one of those heavily symbolic things, like. But yeah, that's not my go-to uh, for karaoke either. So <laughs> I just, I just, I'm just not buying it. I'm, I'm not buying so many things about that. One, that the pick would be praised. Come on, th- those people in there are literally about to die. They don't want to hear ten. Mi- get a one-minute song going. Get me a good fun chorus from something to move it along. Also, you know, a long meandering tune about the death of American ideals and the changing of the generations and yada yada ponderous pretentious I'm slamming the pick I hated it (laughs) absolutely hated it (laughs) any other thoughts on American Pie as a karaoke song yeah I mean it's just the reason that people pick that as a karaoke song is just because everybody knows it I mean like they know the chorus anyway I don't think that a lot of people actually know like the lyrics lyrics but like nobody does Nobody. <laughs> Not even the people who can read on the screen, you know, who get the advantage. <laughs> Nobody knows. Do you have a go-to karaoke song? Yeah. Do I you ca- even go to karaoke? I never do. <laughs> um, my go-to is I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, but I do it very rarely. I can't say that with any confidence pretending like I'm some karaoke, you know, phenom or something like that. So I I really rarely do it, but that is the one I've done a couple of times. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. if I want to troll, I'll do a Creed song. You know, if I just want to be goofy, I'll do Three Doors Down, Crypt Kryptonite, you know, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or Superman, Great. whatever it's called. If you have no idea why we're rambling about karaoke songs, that is because you have stumbled upon a book club episode, a part two episode on the novel They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera. We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. We'll get into the, what the book club is in, in a second. We do have social media accounts. We'd appreciate if you followed us at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word, We're on Facebook and Instagram under those, I don't know, names, tags. I'm not really sure what the lingo is, but we're there. (laughs) We're there and we're posting. (laughs) We keep those uh, feeds updated with the books that we're doing, our reading schedule. So if you're ever wondering what we're covering, that's where you can find us. Um, Share us on any social media platform. We appreciate that. If you found this on a podcast platform, we're up on most of them. Share a, a, a recommendation. Give us a rating. Five stars. Why not? We do appreciate that. Let's get to the book. Uh, As I mentioned, this is a part two book club episode. So if you think you found this episode by mistake or you don't think you're in the right place, then turn back now. (laughs) Uh, Unless we keep talking about karaoke for too long. Keep rambling. Um, Part two book clubs mean we're going to analyze the second half of this novel and then the whole thing or the novel as a whole. So we're going to be spoiling the entirety of the book at this point. If, again, that doesn't sound like you're in the right place. We have a book recommendation up in the feed and part one is up in the feed. So go check those out if you've just stumbled into the wrong episode. Um, The novel, once again, is They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera, a young adult novel that we have both now finished and we'll begin discussing uh, shortly. Amanda, are you feeling ready? I'm so ready. Want to belt out the chorus of American Pie to get us, you know, in the right zone, get us in the right mood? I feel like that, no. Ba, ba, da, 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 da. <laughs> Don't care, the song sucks, something dry. <laughs> yada, yada. Okay, uh, let's get into some highs and lows. We'll begin our final podcast on this book with a high and low segment. Now that we finished the whole novel, um, we're just going to weigh in on moments that we thought in the back half were excellent and some that we thought were less so. Amanda, do you want to kick it off with a high or a low 
or a combo? Sure, I'll do um, one of my highs. Um, I really enjoyed the intertwining of the characters, the playing with the idea of fate and destiny. Like he mentioned, um, I think it was Rufus who mentioned something about like, is there such a thing as destiny? Is that why we were brought together? And but also the like whether that exists and is that how death cast you know is able to predict stuff like do they have an oracle or something um but also the idea of like playing with the idea of like the butterfly effect kind of um which is like the idea that you know one action can have an impact on so many lives which it does like the these narratives are intertwined in that way where each one kind of impacts the other like we keep seeing rufus and mateo showing up in these other um narratives and like how specifically the one i'm thinking of is when um the lady is like about to jump off the building who was Deirdre, who was the one that like, yeah, yeah. She, she's the one who sold them their ticket to the, to the fake skydiving thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she's like wanting to jump. And then she sees these two, she doesn't recognize them. Um, but it's obviously Mateo and Rufus cause they're walking and they have, um, the bike and seeing them and seeing how full of life they are, which is, ironic um they she like decides not to commit suicide so it's like yeah yeah it, i just find i i like little things like that and it it did we were debating in the first half if some of those little interstitials are going to matter and you know of course they'll end up having some connection obviously <laughs> what what author yeah. would publish a novel well i guess plenty in the you know mid 19th century or, or uh, mid 20th century that like part with parts that have don't have direct connections or whatever <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. I, you know it's of course it's going to pay off in some way i wonder i wonder if this question is a moot because we never see the service fail and we never see i don't know it does become philosophical rather quickly and i don't know if the book fully wants to even grapple with those questions because it's is predestination a real thing if no one at all can actually know the details of it i mean at that point it may as well just be an imaginary thing even if it's real like if no if we can't understand something is, is something real that becomes the question mm-hmm. pretty quickly and this book does not want us to understand the service so therefore it's right. like then why should we think that it was predestination, you know, or something to that effect? You know what I mean? Um, But yeah, you're right, though. The questions are in there. I think I think it's modestly interesting. I think the narratives wrapped up in some maybe less interesting character stuff or just some stuff that's like good, but not great. And Mm -hmm. but yes, I I enjoyed those questions, too. I've got a high and a low combo for you that I can throw at you. They re- yeah. He reintroduced Lydia, which we I didn't see coming, or we talked a lot about her in the first half. Yeah. Any thoughts on this? I is her dialogue. She curses a lot at Mateo. She interjects some real urgency into the story. I think it had a kind of snappiness to it. She's both vulgar and joyful in the same breath, which I liked her character. I think maybe the most, even maybe more than the two other leads or something. But then again. By doing that and giving them the moment in the time, not time travel center, uh, geography center, <laughs> the world center. Yeah. Um, by ha- giving them their waterfall moment, having all these poignant, you know, clear symbolic moments together. It's a little bit of a walk back. I, I thought it was really bold and intense for the story to do that, um, t- to give them their karaoke jam with her, to give them that um, world globe trotting. Um, I was going to call it a vacation or adventure, but that experience I don't know. Not bad, not good. Like it was high and low because I liked her a lot. But then I thought it did walk back some of the things that I thought were pretty gave Mateo's character kind of a 
not a sympathetic. It was very complex in that first half that he did that. It was very messy, and I thought I kind of appreciated right. that. And and then of course in the end it was not messy, right? Yeah, I I liked Lydia as a person, um, it, but I agree with you. Like I, inserting her back into the narrative, I was like, what is what is the purpose of her being here? Because the dynamic between Rufus and Mateo, were all, they're, they're already progressing. They're already building this trust. And it's like, why why bring her back? Is it only because we're also going to get the Plutos back later? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. is it? They have a group hang at the bar. It's fun. Yeah. It's like but it's like, but, but, <laughs> but why? I mean, the yeah. whole thing is about their relationship. So I don't know. I, I also was just kind of like, eh. I mean, like, yeah, that's nice and everything, but... I, I thought it d- kind of detracted from from Mateo and mm-hmm. Rufus as as the two as their relationship and their personal. Yeah, we'll growth. get to some romance stuff between them too. Because while even though you predicted it, while you predicted that, I don't think that was even f- fully earned, frankly. Like, or at least the way that it came up or the way that it was introduced in those final pages just felt, frankly, like weirdly unnecessary. I'm I'm really happy that there's more you know, positive portrayals of gay romance in, in any medium, but that doesn't have to mean that they're good. <laughs> like it's, it was nice to see, right. but also just kind of felt a bit rushed and not even, it was necessary to give Mateo a couple of more of those, you know, life capital L life experiences to, to, you know, pat himself on the back for his final day of boldness and living and all of that. Like I, you know, thematically all that stuff gets checked off. The boxes get checked off, but it just didn't feel satisfying or deep at all it just kind of felt like okay um it also there was also this weird line by rufus i guess i'm just calling this a low then i didn't even really plan for this to be a low but there's a line in rufus's side when they kiss where he says something like you know i've been waiting for you to do that like no you haven't been like we've been inside of your head narratively for half the book like that never came up (laughs) so or did it i did like i know he's he's really proud of it was like kind of implied Uh, i I think i just have a bad radar for that kind of stuff then i think i need it more obvious i guess because it (laughs) it just when he said that it was kind of like of all the reflections he's had and he's had dozens about him he's proud of him he's seeing him get bolder he's giving him space like there are so many things he thought about mateo and not one of them that i noticed was like and i have sexual attraction to this man (laughs) like i don't so yeah uh, there was a it was definitely more subtle there with um and even rufus like i knew rufus pretty early on was attracted to mateo and i like suspected that mateo would be just because he left his um that one blank but then also rufus is like i can tell that he's like hesitating and i'm just waiting for him to to make like he didn't say make a move but it was something akin to that and i was like oh okay so he he gets the sense that i guess i just thought that the since we're in his head for half that it wouldn't need to be subtle in his half but which it is though like he never explicitly thinks it in his half does he ever (laughs) right like and that just seems so weird because we're getting all the intimacies of his mind except for the one that lets this one plot twist happen it's not not even really a plot twist because you're right there were moments um i I was just under reading them i think because i expected his mind to think about it a little more there was now that i think back a line when they're doing the volcano volcano jump waterfall jump that's a big difference <laughs> yeah <laughs> <It's> like, <"Whoa." laughs> that's a different book that i would have maybe preferred but that's okay um 
<laughs> but there's a line in the waterfall jump when he comments on how it's sort of like, oh, Mateo's skinnier than I thought, but he looks good or something. But even that was just kind of like, mm-hmm. eh, he's just commenting on this dude he likes, you know, as a fr- like, oh, okay, my buddies, I got my skinny little nerdy buddy. Like, I don't, it didn't. I don't know. It's all kind. Of, it was all written a little safe anyway. So I guess maybe I was expecting something heavier or a little um, with a heavier hand or something. But uh, you picked up on it well. So I, I think uh-huh. I just missed it. It was, I guess, too subtle for my reading. But I guess I'll call that um, collectively a low for me. I'll tie that in really quickly just to Rufus's narrative voice, his half. I do think it faltered and buckled a little too often for me. Little too heavy-handed with the slang. Comes off as corny a lot. Some of the reflections he has out loud just are just cliche, either cliche ridden or just a little bit circular or obvious, which it's funny, right? We talked about this in part one. I, that could be good teenage writing, though, because teenagers are often cliche ridden and can be circular mm-hmm. and don't have the clearest, <laughs> most cogent access to their you know thoughts or have the most cogent thoughts. So in the one hand, I'm like, this is a decent voice, well-realized. But on the other, I'm like, but it's not good to read. It's just not, it's just very stilted at times and awkward. And even, um, dare I, oh man, dare I co-op some teenage slang? It was a little cringe, cringe cringe-worthy to me, some of it. Um, Just some of the things (laughs) things he spouted. The ways he would compliment Mateo um, were just a little corny to me. But I don't know if that could just be the right way to do it and i have a bad ear for teen talk now with our teen talk minute here's amanda go ahead amanda for teen talk (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh (laughs) yeah i don't know like with i also felt like rufus's narrative voice was a bit forced because like compared to mateo right who's also a teenager he had just graduated from high school so he was only 18 yeah rufus was 17 so Mateo's language was very different from Rufus's. And I actually found Mateo's narrative more, uh, more what I would like, I don't know, expect maybe Mm -hmm. from, from somebody um, who was like trying to like, cause it's weird. It's like we're in their heads, but also they are actually directly talking to the reader right Right? there. They say things like, out like out loud or not out loud but it's like to somebody and it's like well who are they talking to it's got to be the reader so if you're talking to somebody like the way that mateo speaks is what i would expect especially if you're trying to like be serious and be sincere um whereas the way that rufus speaks it's like maybe he's talking to a friend but like i don't know it's it's very yeah there's I'm confused, I, 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 I guess, yeah. it, through with their narratives, who they're speaking to. And I don't to. think we're meant, you're meant to know. It's just meant to be part of the laid-back, conversational, oh, shit, I'm dying today, oh, no, kind of tone, kind of stunned tone of it all. I pulled a couple lines from just a couple pages of Rufus's narrative because I wanted to have some quotes ready for this thought. But it there's a line here. He's talking about taking a picture of the kids playing handball. And he says, it's a solid portrait of kids, the photo. A little older than me, but they're kids. Don't fight me on that. Like, just that little interjection at the end. It's like, what? what's the tone here? Like, I know he's not... Yeah. He played down that violent aspect of him, but he's clearly meant to be kind of assertive, but not rude. And it's just kind of like, I don't know what that line is doing for me. It's just awkward. It is a personality, though. I just don't know which which one (laughs) or what kind. And then he later says, oh, shoot, it's on the next page. I lost it already, though. Ah, 
Now, see, I'm just going to leave this in. Leave people wondering. Oh, here it is on the next page. I, he gives away his bike, and then he says, <laughs> "I almost go back for my bike before remembering I've just given it up. I feel lighter, like my shadow just quit his day job, walked off, and threw up a peace sign." So it's an interesting simile and not a bad idea of the shadow. I mean, that's a pretty classic image to play with. But, like, the throw up a peace sign, like, that's – is that a teenage slang? Like, throw up – I it, it all just feels a little stiff to me. It doesn't feel raw enough and, like, vulgar enough to be a teen, but it is clearly not an ad- – I, I don't know. I struggled with his half. It just never fully clicked for me, the, the writing. It all felt stiff yeah. to at times for him. So yeah. that was a low for yeah, me. I'll just combine that with mine. I went hard on the lows there. Do you have another high to save us from the tail dive or the tail di- tail spin nose dive? Uh, the tail dive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the other high that I have is um, that they didn't die yeah, by smart. Peck. So Peck yeah. did not kill them, um, which is great because that would have been like way too clean it would have been too i mean like we predicted early on that peck was definitely going to try something yeah it would have been boring um so i i like that peck failed Mm -hmm. (laughs) in his endeavors um but also i just think that in general their deaths are pretty fitting mateo was killed at home which he thought of as a kind of a sanctuary Mm -hmm. for him i mean it was like the place where he felt the safest but actually it's the place where he got killed um in a pretty horrendous <laughs> the way Chekhov's well. gun oven um, the 350 page Chekhov's <laughs> oven <laughs> gets him <laughs> do you remember that yeah and he was doing something kind for somebody else too yeah like there was yeah he mentioned the yeah. stove and he specifically writes a note to his neighbor saying hey you don't have to come over and fix the stove because yeah. I'm dying today and it's it is the yeah, stove wild. um and then Rufus dies from carelessness, right? He just walks out in the middle yeah, of the road. Yeah, almost a suicide, um, with his to be honest with you. I, that's how I'm reading yeah. it. Yeah. Well, the, what's interesting about that, too, is like he's talking about how tired he is and how just like defeated he feels, which earlier in the, in the narrative, he was talking to Mateo about how, how he was mad at his family because they didn't even like try to escape. Mm-hmm. They made sure he escaped. And then it seemed like they just gave up and just like went down with the car. He didn't see them struggle or anything. And it's funny, not funny, but ironic that he also, in the end, that's kind of what happened with yeah. him. He didn't, he lost the, the, the ability to kind of like fight yeah. for himself. Yeah. Which in so. his half, given his growth and Mateo's death feels like serenity of some kind. Given that he got closure with his right. with Mateo's father and had that nice moment and everything else, it does feel more like serenity. You know, I forget how the last line is written. Maybe we should check for a closer analysis of the of the phrasing. But it didn't feel harsh. I crossed the street without an arm to hold yeah. me back. Yeah, I guess it's like it's like a bit yeah. of loneliness there. You know, he's unprotected in the world, yeah. and so he's just ready to give up on the world. I guess, and it's a little somber too, of course. Yeah, all transition then to my i have a high and a high low left let's do the high low quickly peck's arc it's a high low because he's so uninteresting but it's a so that's the low <laughs> like <laughs> of course it's going to be shallow yeah. compared to all the rest because he's a it's really a brief interlude type character but it was just it was just bland filler characterization 
I guess it's better than the alternative, which would be to have him turn up at the end with no hint or warning with a gun. <laughs> I guess that would be a little melodramatic. Right. So at least this way it, it lessens that blow. But the high, then I can segue into this, is that he doesn't kill them. I agree with your reading on that completely. Like the deaths were way more satisfying and fitting. And even though Mateo's was really intense, I thought the randomness was fitting, especially for a novel that constantly is teasing you with this idea that every decision they make is suffused with tension and they and they keep maybe to again the book's reading detriment because it's maybe a little bit repetitive but they keep bringing it up at every turn right about we can't do that or we should slow down here and you know it's so having it still be a little bit of a surprise at the end and very sudden i think the suddenness is what i like the most about it that in the end, it was not something they yeah. could have prepared for. And then, you know, it's like they savored their day appropriately then because it truly was something they wouldn't have foreseen. Very abrupt. So, And also, I was right about my prediction about um, knockout, whatever, the knockout mm-hmm. king. He he saw Mateo and stopped from knocking yeah. him out, <laughs> which saved yeah, their lives. Yeah, definitely. That was good. Your predictions were mostly spot on. You predicted the romance, too. Yeah. Is is kind of an easy book to predict. <laughs> Mine, I was wrong about them dying together, and then I was wrong kind of about them dying doing a good deed. Though I thought maybe when they were having the fight, I thought Mateo might get shot then, and then my prediction would have been perfect. Because mine mm. was that, of course, he would die doing something very selfless, and that would be his final act. So he was he still died doing something sweet or nice, kind, yeah. but not like selfless, not sacrificial or something, right. not heroic. So anyway, any other highs or lows for you? Um... Yeah, so one of the lows is I'm not quite sure what the purpose of the suicide bomber was. You remember the one narrative? I do. Like the angry guy, yeah, that blew up the place and and Mateo and Rufus were like, they were fine, essentially. Mm -hmm. But why was that there? Like, what was the point of having that narrative there? Because was it just to scare Mateo and Rufus? Because at that point in the novel, they're still super careful, yeah, and they yeah. resolve it instantly. It's two pages of them, you know, like sitting down to rest and get, regain their, you know, awareness and they move on. It's not, yeah. it does not linger. I don't know, especially in a book that you can feel the length that's left. You can literally stare at it. So when you know it's not going to kill them, then it did feel very pointless. Yeah, and kind of odd. Yeah, the only thing that I can think of is that it was just a way to tie into Delilah's narrative more. Delilah, yeah, the, um, right. the one who's not sure if she's going to die that day, um, because she's there at the scene as well, and she also survives. But yeah, I yeah. mean, is that the only point? Like, uh, that seems a pretty weak. You know point what I did for me. You know what I did love though, and this is another mm-hmm. hint of I'm doing the thing in a book that could have been and wasn't. I loved the end of her little that little bit at the end where she's like, "Holy shit, I did! I thought it was a joke and it wasn't, and my I wasted yeah. my whole time." And like that was pretty brutal. Give me the version of this book where one of the narratives is somebody fulfilling themselves, and the other one is a much longer exploration of a waste. <laughs> like yeah. I know that sounds really harsh, but yeah. I that little tease of that, I was like, "Oof, that is really rough," and that's pretty harsh. And then it just made me crave like a very in-depth version of those c- contrasts because it didn't explore that at all. You know, her, it was very her, surface. 
Yeah, and her narrative was interesting, too, because she almost didn't even make that call to find out for sure because she was yeah. relying on her ring, her engagement ring, to tell her. She's like, I'm going to spin it, and if it, if the diamond points to me, then I'm going to call, and if it's the ring part, yeah. then I'm not going to call. So she could have died without knowing that she was going to die that day. Uh, so I found that really interesting, too, and that also plays with the idea of like destiny and fate and and stuff like that kind of in a subtle way as well. Do you want to go into a deep kind of a side quest here, a deep side quest about some world building questions that that whole thing raised? Oh man, I I just wish that he would have The book is that, has no interest in That was like my lost the, pages though. <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole book, we can skip around, but the whole the book has no interest in this company program. It had, the book is not concerned about the logistics of this in any way. Yeah. But that final scene with Delilah raised some fascinating questions. For one, so if you work at Deathcast, you're not just constantly every day searching in the database to make sure. Like, firstly, okay, I think that pretty clearly assumes, or, or we can infer from this, that you don't even know a day out. Like, it only tells you the day, on the day. Whatever right. the thing is, I'm just going to assume it's some kind of quantum computing thing about molecule movement and whatever insane shit is going on. <laughs> I'm not going to assume it's Oracle magic. I'm just going to assume that they have a weird advanced quantum computer that can somehow see between particles and can therefore detect, you know, the way the universe moves and all of its in infinities or whatever. And so if that like, but that assumes that you will never know the next day, because obviously if you work there, you would just look up yourself. I mean, my God, you'd have to, but that also assumes that like, he didn't know it was her. He was so shocked. That means he's like, never looked her up in the database or can't. And that he didn't check her, like, he, he couldn't have known, I guess, is the point. Like, which I think just raises really strange questions about what the hell that organization is and what they know or don't and how. <laughs> like, again, yeah. this is a total side thing, rant. But I thought that was fascinating. But then it's, of course, like, ah, but the book doesn't care about this at all. The book wanted a romance story between two pals turned romance. You know, it was just. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. It it was infuriating for me in in a way because I I really am interested in like the death cast institution and we mm -hmm. get a taste of like he he talks about yeah. like it's company policy that it's encouraged that you make small talk to make yourself happy they have therapists and he talks about the right. layout of the offices where it's it's almost like uh, a preschool setup where everything is bright and airy and bright colors because you don't want it to be depressing right, and all right. this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, all these little mm, these little tidbits, but I just want to, <laughs> I just yeah. want to know more. <laughs> yeah. No, completely. It was. It's world building is plot driver, not world building is world building. Yeah. <laughs> the story just has no interest in exploring that. But it getting that dangled in front of me was tantalizing for sure. I mm -hmm. That was my Lost Pages. We'll just spoil that whole segment here. The Lost Pages <laughs> yeah. is when we both discuss something we wish the book would have explored more or something to add on, something to be its own book, etc., yeah, no, mine was 100%. What is happening at Deathcast? Tell me more about their employees. Tell me more about their psychological manipulation of these abused employees who really only probably have to work like, what, like one hour a day? But I guess if they're making calls internationally, then they probably do have to work around the clock because, like, it's yeah. always 12 a.m. <laughs> like, it's always going to be hitting somewhere. 12 a.m. somewhere. So that in that sense, if it's an international thing, which how could this tech not be like, why would it be country dependent? The foreseeing the future. <laughs> right. So I don't, yeah, it just, there's a million things to dig into there and this is not the book.
this is a this is a teenage romance book <laughs> with yeah. a weird premise <laughs> so you yeah. know respect to it on that in those merits i guess all right any other highs or lows i think i covered all mine and a rant uh, to be sure yeah the the only other low that i had was just again like I, I mentioned it in the previous episode is is i just i just wish that there was something stylistically that that i could just really cling to like something mm-hmm. that just like stood out for me but nothing stylistically really stood out for me except for like being yeah. like, well, I don't think teenagers talk like that, but okay. <laughs> the, you know what it is though that that was what the stylistic that you can tell it's what the author was banking on because it is the most unique thing. They each have yeah. a slightly different manner of narration. We already talked a lot about the dialogue choices, some of the dialect. That, but that's it though. I mean, that is what yeah. they're he's offering Adam Silver as like here's the interesting differentiator. You're right because any other part of it is pretty straightforward stuff. Yeah. Some shadow Even the symbolism. That I read. It's, <laughs> yeah, well, which would have, I th- think, frankly, would have been at least a little. It's always better if you don't explain it. It's That's just a fact. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be incredibly nuanced, you know, um, of the highest artistic order, but don't explain it at the least. But American Pie. <laughs> anyway. Um, I think it, oh my gosh though, but he kept doing it though, right? We rambled about this in <laughs> yeah. part one, but in the American pie, isn't there a, a, some kind of narration in there about how like, and we all screamed out the line about we'll never die. And it's just kind of like, yeah. ah, all right, man, like <laughs> let's take it easy here. We don't have to, you don't have to keep explaining. You don't have to keep pointing at it. You know, it's, I don't know. It, it was what it was, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's move to imaginary essays. This is another analytical part of this pod where we will each um, pose an essay question to the other person. We've prepared some brief outlines. Mine's pretty loose today, by the way. I didn't really do many pages. I'll maybe dig into a couple. But anyway, we each propose an essay to the other and we just respond to it. It's another way to think about the book, analyze the book. One final way for us to consider it through a different lens, basically. Do you want to go first today? Sure. Um, Feeling prepared? Yeah. Okay, so my question is pretty simple, pretty basic. I wrote it based on your own foresight, your um, kind of prophetic skills. <laughs> uh, it was a romance novel after all, which I did, I was not reading into it, and you predicted it well. So let's use that prediction for an essay question. Would you say that this is a novel about love then or about friendship? Or if you think that's a really false divide, then say it's both and take it away <laughs> which one is it or both i'm gonna say it's both uh, <laughs> yeah there's a pretty clear divide so i respect the answer um because love is based in friendship right i mean otherwise it's just lust so mm-hmm. um and and there is of course um physical attraction between the two but they don't act on that until they have full they have fully become friends and they start calling each other like friend and stuff yeah, so yeah yeah um, the, the last friend app is, you know, they both started, um, on that app looking for just a friend. They weren't looking for love. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it's just out of a sense of not wanting to be alone, but also not wanting to be near the people that they already do love and, and putting them in some kind of harm's way, whether it's emotional or physical or whatever. Um, and they weren't expecting anything romantic to happen, even though, you know, Rufus's attraction to Mateo is pretty instant um and pretty clear from the beginning um but mateo's um attraction doesn't really become clear until like rufus starts like kind of hinting at it in his own narratives like yeah obviously mateo likes me but he's not going to act on it 
Um, May and Mateo also makes a point to say that he's scared of sex at the beginning. Um, he's like never been mm-hmm. intimate with anybody, and it's I mean he's in his home like all the time, and even signed up for online college courses and stuff instead of going to a physical um, university. Um, but specifically, I remember him mentioning that he is afraid of sex. And so like the idea of having a physical relationship with the person um, that's on the last uh, last friend app was like completely off the table for him. There's no way that he was going to go for that. Um, and th- it was the same for Rufus because Rufus was just getting over Amy. So like the idea of romance was not in like from the beginning, it was like clear that neither one wanted romance or were expecting romance at the very least. Right. Um, right. And that they wanted to focus on just the friendship aspect, which is what most of the novel did. It wasn't the love aspect. The romance didn't start really until like part the like middle part three. I would say three quarters. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like the end of the book. That's when the, the romance really started um, going through and that only happened after they got over their trust issues so they don't trust each other until they spent some time together and really opened up to each other about stuff and Rufus Rufus's way of opening up was by talking about his family and Mateo's way of opening up was to actually like you know get out of his house and take some risks um, and it's not until they trust each other and feel that they know each other that they feel like friends and they open up more and more. And it's that friendship that leads to that romantic feeling that they, um, that they later act on um, in the last, like what, three hours of their life, um, their lives. So the love aspect of their relationship uh, saying it so early, like Mateo is like, I know it's crazy, but I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And, and you know, it's, it's pointless to wait because we don't have any more time to wait. And then Rufus says, I love you too. That was like, that is a, it's directly because they are, they know they're going to die. If it were any other normal situation, you don't tell somebody that usually, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know other people, but like, yeah, it would be an like, exception. It would be an exception. <laughs> <laughs> it would not you be the norm. Tell people you love them that like within the first 20, less than 24 hours that you've known them. Um, even if you've spent all day with them, like, I don't know, maybe I'm a really guarded person. I don't know. That could just be my own weird thing. But, um, yeah, the, I think that the friendship is the foundation for the love story. So he had to really focus on the friendship building first in order to then approach the romance story. If there was no romance at the end, it still would have been a great story. Like it was not, to me, it was not necessary. Um, The friendship aspect is what really propelled this story forward and really propelled my interest in the story. Completely. Yeah, me too. That's so I'm gonna accept that as that my reading was valid, <laughs> and that I'm not a total dunce or fool for not picking up on some of the <laughs> subtle notes that you you picked up on in a much clearer way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think then? Yeah, I do. I agree with all that. Any thoughts on how that reading then complicates? For example, there's an obvious version of this book where Lydia and Mateo have a moment of romance towards the end or admit something. There's also a version where Amy 
where that turns in to another rekindling of something where it's like let's they do settle it of course verbally in again a pretty quick convenient fashion perhaps <laughs> but it's you know it's fine but i you know does that change your reading of those um connections at all or does that fit in nah like i mean my suspicion that mateo was gay was like that was pretty on pr- pretty early on when he didn't list um, yeah. the information in the profile is like oh well he hasn't come out yet and also his fear of sex and his like just like weirdness mm-hmm. about being like truly intimate with anybody and his best friend is um a woman that he he loves but he's definitely not romantically mm-hmm. attracted to her and it never has been and i was like okay so yeah he whatever so, and and then rufus like pretty early on he talks about how he came out to like everybody um early on and stuff and it just like wasn't a thing like i didn't think that it was really important to the story i mean it's important i suppose for their personal identities at least for rufus right he he comes out to everybody but for mateo he hasn't even come out to his dad or anything like the only person that he actually comes out to is kind of lydia (laughs) like yeah in the club and that's it so i what a story. Said, How many people have come out in clubs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Just getting a little uh getting a little handsy in the club, getting a little carried away. Mariah yeah. Carey comes on and it's like, Hey, look, man <laughs> I've gotta talk to you <laughs> about something. <laughs> I've been thinking but, a lot about something lately and I just wanna talk. <laughs> Um, I just I don't think that it was necessary to the story and it didn't affect the way that I saw their relationships with others at all. Um it, it was, you know, it was whatever. I mean it's not like I hated that or anything it's just i was like okay i mean that's an interesting detail about them but that doesn't affect the way that i saw them or the way that the the, that i saw their relationships with others you know yeah yeah that's fair all right let's jump into mine go ahead and toss it at me when you're ready yeah i stole this one um from online so you're welcome um A person's actions can have big consequences for that person and for others, even people that person does not know. What are some examples of that in the book? Do you see any portrayals of karma in the book, or was the author portraying random chaos, or was he doing a bit of both? Yeah. Um, to the first question, unfortunately, the first question in the series is so obvious that it I'm not even really going to answer it, if that makes sense. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Some examples of people affecting others. Um, the whole book is basically that with the two people entangling in each other's yeah. last day lives. So I feel like we've just covered that aspect of it. I'll, I'll dig into the other concepts instead. Let's do karma in the United States pop culture sense because I don't think <laughs> either yeah. of us are quite ready to do a full theological reading of that word perhaps <laughs> um bring it let's on just, travis yeah well i i guess i'll i'll do more i statements i am not ready to do a full uh, theological uh, analysis of this book in that lens but karma just in terms of doing good you get good doing bad you get bad i think peck would be an interesting example of that perhaps maybe he's the case study in the story of that about and then of course as we noted the rufus character is so aggressively characterized after his one mistake he literally makes mm-hmm. one mistake in the book it's the opening of the book and then the entire rest of the story is meant to redeem him from that you know to show that he's not violent he does remember that outburst he had when they're near the pier or something he's like punching the railing and when he thinks when mateo thinks it'd be helpful for him to say goodbye to his family at the waterside do you remember that scene yeah 
And so, but that's a violence of frustration and not, it's more of just a universal frustration violence, not a directed at a person sort of uncontrolled moment, whatever, an outburst. So I guess in that sense, I, the karma thing seems like a decent reading. Um, I will say this though, the chaos is what drew me into your question. Cause I, <laughs> that, that word then did make me think hard about the structure of the book the entire premise. So let's run through a couple bullet points to try and address that question. Probably most importantly, Deathcast. Whatever this is, a company, a program, some government-backed entity, scientific project, like you said, some kind of magical, shaman-based, religion-based, just going to throw buzzwords out. Like, we don't know anything. (laughs) All we know, though, and this is crucial to me, within the message of the book or the goals of the book, we know that it, it does not fail which is, it is certain that it does not fail. Because if they wanted to show it failing, the woman should have jumped off the ledge and broken it. The author shouldn't have died. Like that one lady we learned at the very end, the multi, the hair, multi-hair, I forget her name. Delilah. <laughs> Delilah. Um, we, she shouldn't have, like it's, there's just so many opportunities for the book to pull that and be like, eh, maybe this is, you know, maybe they're not putting out a perfect set of goods, but we know it's it's a perfect system, whatever the system is. So we have to accept it's kind of omnipotent then. I think within that, and then when you layer on top of that assumption, the whole structure of this book, which is such a clear growth-based story, it could not be more obvious that the symbolism couldn't be more heavy-handed. You know, he gets him, we talked about this in part one, he lifts him out of the grave and says, I know the things to say about the poetry of him literally getting me out of my own grave. (laughs) Like it's, we don't have to read very hard to get that reading. I just don't think you could make a good case for chaos given the death cast thing. Plus on top of that, this very structure of this novel, the character choices, the obvious growth, the way the plot interconnects. I think the karma one is the better one. Then if that makes sense, the Mm -hmm. chaos reading to me really, really fails like aggressively. Um, which I think it's fair to bring it up, of course, because those are factors in the book. Obviously, then there's the thing like the bomb. But again, if you wanted a chaotic reading or you wanted a chaotic novel, have the bomb kill one of them then or something stranger. Have like it's when they survive that, it's just clear that like they're they're going towards some kind of I don't know. I struggle with predestination because we don't know how the service works. And I feel like right. until you get a little bit more knowledge or you can engage with it on a slightly more informed terms. I really don't know what to say, but yeah, I I think the biggest and most obvious message, and again, I go back to that grave symbolic moment or or any number of them. It's just about these two people bettering each other. It's about the influence of friendship and how you can enrich someone's life, even in a brief amount of time. You know, obviously everything in this book is heightened. The exposition's heightened and and, um, quickened in its pace. And so I, I just think I take away from it that whether it's predestination or not, or maybe some slight version of that, you still have to relish those connections, take, you know, take solace in them, uh, enjoy them while they last, enjoy them while they go. I even think like, think of the callback at the end. This is the one evidence I pulled the page for. The stove that kills Mateo is a, yeah, literal th- over 350 page Chekhov's gun maneuver. Like it, it's foreshadowing from 350 pages ago that never came up again. If that kind of tidy ending doesn't feel like structure planning, 
not again predestination feels aggressive or harsh to say because we just mm. don't know enough to say that term but i just can't get on board with a chaos reading of this book in any way it i would just find it very difficult this it's built into the structure built into the author's decisions and even the philosophies within the story seem to seem to kind of negate that or disregard that reading so those are just some thoughts i had about that so if that's the case, then how would you interpret the, the suicide bomber then and how that fits with the rest of the idea of like karma and everything? Well, I think so. And it was pretty clear in his interstitial that his life had been going downhill, right? Nothing was going mm-hmm. well. It was sort of, it was failure after failure, compounding failure after compounding failure, right? Yeah. And so he had already, cl- yeah. And he had already clearly built the bomb. And so he just waited for the day of the message. I, again, there, there's a fascinating question there, which is, okay, so he builds this bomb. Mm-hmm. Was he waiting until the death cast called him so that he could go do it? Why not do it right. the day you want to do it? Does that right. so? It, it's it's a great question, of course, a very fundamental one of like chicken egg. Is he is he motivated by death cast or is he like can he just not do it because? of the predestination or whatever term we could determinism would be another obvious term of the world that he's in. I, I don't know, but the fact that he got the call and then of course went and did it after that's just not a chaos move then. Right. <laughs> like the fact that he had pre-built it and then had to wait until the call, like it's this world is clockwork, you know, it given its own construction. So it does raise some interesting questions, but I don't know. I also don't think it cheapens because um, there's obviously then questions of free will, right? That that the book wants to deal in a little bit, and you you were right earlier to bring up that Rufus and Mateo have this discussion out loud, right? Like at some point they do mm-hmm. talk about, hey, well, would are we killing each other then by even meeting? Is that how it is? Right. Like, what if we never right. met? All that, and so without more knowledge of the world, I just think it's too hard to say. I don't. I don't know. I, I do think that the message of the book in regards to friendships and impact i I think that the fact that they're put together and then die and that that they are the cause of each other's deaths i well then okay you're just gonna let me keep tumbling down this hole aren't you you're not gonna stop me um (laughs) (laughs) mateo could have died at his stove at any other point in the day then right he didn't need him to be there to die to his own stove so i that complicates it certainly a little bit then again, if he wouldn't have gotten the death cast call, he never would have met Rufus. So it mm. does become a bit of a... And I'm, I don't even know if the conversation becomes useful at some point, tracking down all those plot threads. But yeah, it's... I don't know if it... Do you feel like it cheapens any of it? The whole, this had to have happened this way? It's a pretty basic question, frankly. I don't even know if it's the most interesting one um, about stories that deal with free will versus determinism. So I don't, you don't have to answer that question if it's not interesting. I, I find it interesting. Yeah, I, I that's one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of like read more about death cast itself, especially like how how they're able to predict these deaths specifically because the idea of like culpability especially was like kind of raised in this novel but was never really explored and that was something mm-hmm. that I found really interesting too. Like is death cast actually causing these deaths by notifying them? We have to assume <laughs> at some point there's a right. brief chat about how they're trying to get one of the apps on Twitter and Facebook. Another kind of uh, heavy handed way of shoehorning that all in. Do you remember that moment, though? 
So if those meetings are happening mm-hmm. yeah. and this company is as rampant and widespread, firstly, they can contact people without permission. Like, this must be some widely promoted, unless this is some weird world without a government in it. <laughs> There's cops, so I guess that they're, ha- right? I mean, we were, again, I'm going to spiral out really quickly. Yeah. The book, because the book builds no guardrails for any of these questions, I don't think. But it, like, if we accept that they're so widely accepted, that again, there's big social media companies having meetings with, you know, side groups. So it's like everyone's accepting this is what I'm saying. Like, it's so demonstrably true and yes. accepted and ingrained. Again, like the fact that you can have contact with people without their permission just automatically gets done. You have to like you don't you can't opt out either. We'll get to a quote in the um, criticism section about this. But the fact that there's no opt out to this is pretty insane to me. That's something that I think. A, a different book with different ambitions would have addressed that would have been like, let's look at somebody who decides to opt in. Let's look at somebody who's like, fuck that. I never want to know. Why would you want tell me this? Like, <laughs> let me live my life. <laughs> and right. so, yeah. Anyway, there's that question too. I feel like I'm rambling now for sure. But anyway, any, any thoughts on the question yourself? <laughs> any, cause I know I dismissed the chaos reading pretty aggressively. Do you have any readings in that regard? No, I, I, I agree with you, actually. I think it is more towards the idea of like of karma, almost destiny and fate type stuff. But I agree that like it's hard to really say much um, with authority without actually knowing more about the death cast system itself. So, yeah, it, yeah. it's much easier to answer questions of like you did that's weird that feels like i just said you, <laughs> i feel like that was i just said it to sound like i was talking down to you or something which didn't wasn't like at all my intention uh, the the questions that get answered in this book about romance and friendship i just think have so much more clarity because of yeah. the way it's written and the way things yeah. resolve and some narrative moments um some obvious symbolism perhaps but yeah i think the other questions are worth asking but i don't know if the book presents anything that can give us a wrap up <laughs> that yeah. feels like wrapping up you know i guess for better and worse so Okay. Any other thoughts on the two essay topics? Um, nope. Okay. Well, let's skip the lost pages, right? If you want to hear that, rewind a half an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we covered it just fine. I really feel like nothing yeah, needs to be said. We definitely did. <laughs> yeah. So let's move into the critical assistance. This is the final segment of this podcast. Before we say goodbye to the book, we're going to look outside of ourselves and go online or elsewhere for some critical insight into the book. Just see what other people's responses were. It could be from book reviews, blogs, websites, whatever. I want to do mine first, if that's cool, because I think we, yeah, we kind it. of have to. It's definitive. <laughs> um, the back <laughs> of my softcover edition of this book has an essay by the author. So I yeah. don't know if it gets more direct than that. <laughs> and I thought that was a really unique perspective. Have we ever done one of these that was the author, him or herself? Um, I think we did do one. It might have. No, not the author. Him. We did True Grit, but that was written by somebody else. Yeah. Who okay. Was, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I like that. That was a great essay too. I enjoyed that yeah. a lot. Anyway, let's read just the opening of this. It's just it, the title spoils everything. It's looking back at the novel. So it's by the author Adam Silvera. Ever since I announced the title of this book, I've had people ask me why I would spoil the ending. But did I? I mean, sort of, I guess, but the ending was never the point of the book. My first two books have some pretty strong twists, and I like to tell people that the big twist, in They Both Die at the End, is that there's no major twist at all. I laid out the cards, played the game by the rules of the title, and, and I never cheated. Yeah, I think I, I was really drawn into the title because I find it... I don't need all things to be meta. In fact, I've grown kind of weary and tired of meta 
thinking. It can become exhausting <laughs> being stuck mm-hmm. in postmodernism sometimes or something. And so, but I kind of liked it because it, it almost dares you to in, it's a very, it's a very strong hook title, you know, to put it, I'm just going to have to default back to my middle school essay terminology here, but it is kind of a hook because <laughs> it really does dare you or almost taunt you to then approach it and ask why and what's happening and what's the emotional truth of this book, if that's true, and just sort of what will this explore. So, yeah, I think it's funny. I don't think I would bristle. I mean, it's just a title. <laughs> They're fun and they can give you a little hook, but I don't think it's going to make or break anything. But this one I thought was bold. It was honestly part of the reason I chose it. I also read some reviews before I picked it, too, to be fair. But the title really works for me still. I, I kind of love it. Yeah, it. I think it helps to build some of the the suspense too, because you know that they're gonna die, and you're just like waiting to see like, oh, what what's gonna lead to their deaths and stuff. I I I think it was a good choice, yeah. Yeah, and it really frames. Now, I was gonna say it really frames the way you approach the story's themes and motifs, but the mm-hmm. story also does that itself probably a little yeah. too much. <laughs> so maybe a little too. It's there's maybe a little too much hand holding for my uh, personal taste. It is YA, and so that's fine. Um, So that was one quote I wanted to share. Another one from 379, kind of the purpose of the book. Oh, yeah, here we go. Um, His final thoughts on this. So, yeah, maybe the title ruined the reading experience for some people, but I actually have a bigger spoiler for everyone. We all die at the end, every single one of us. But once again, how we die or the fact that we die isn't the point at all. I can't spoil the answer for the next question, but I hope it's one we keep on our minds daily. How did we live? So, yeah, pretty tidy ending. It's clear given his own reflection there that, yeah, his book was about, it's about how to ingrain yourself with friends and what friendship means and how to connect with people, how to, how to spend your time in an authentic way, in a satisfying way, the connections mm-hmm. that, yeah, give you fulfillment and joy and purpose and everything. So it was a nice little send off, a tidy uh, explanation of his own book. Any thoughts on that quote? Yeah. I think that it's uh, very well put because the the major theme, right, the thing that keeps coming back to it is Mateo keeps saying that he wants to really live because he felt like he never lived before. He was always so scared to live. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah that's definitely a so, message, especially since he was like the nerdy, like, person who just was always on video games and, and online looking at the death cast the deckers blogs and stuff like that he was very yeah, much an observing. online entity mm-hmm. versus in life of course yeah um i have to end with this quote cuz i to be honest those quotes were nice but pretty agreeable i've got to end on a banger though cuz there is one in here that i <laughs> I like I like audibly scream like kind of squealed when I read this quote. <laughs> this is uh, from kind of the middle of the essay. This instinct has been with me for years. Uh, the instinct to kind of think about um, dying or not. Uh, this is what he's mm. talking about. He says, and that's how Deathcast was born. Another question I regularly get from readers is if I would want Deathcast services if they were available today. Uh, hell yeah. I legit cannot think of any good reason why I wouldn't want to know if the day I was living was my end day. I can't tell you how many times I paused writing this essay so I could finish doing laundry or step out to pick up food or because I simply needed fresh air and wondered if something unexpected would happen and prevent me from coming back to finish this. I'm not a fan of irony, friends. And then he goes on. Sir, if you can say that sentence, I legit cannot think of any reasons. We've, you've got, I've got so many books you got to read. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> like, man, it the, to have such a confident, casual answer to a profoundly disturbing question 
just struck me as like, and not arrogant. I don't think he's like rude or a jerk or something. I don't know this man, but the way that that was written just stunned me. Like it's a, it is an infinitely messy question. And to have such an immediate, I, yeah, I just, I can think of so many reasons why this thing should not definitely never exist. (laughs) Like, I think it could (laughs) cause total societal collapse for one. (laughs) If like, yeah, it, it could spiral out into, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm almost like stunned by that quote because of there's just a, so many thoughts in my mind as to why this would be a horrible idea for us to for this to exist. <laughs> or again, to yeah, make it, it not an opt in system, like a, a forced upon you, you system or something. Yeah. And it, it also we were talking about this like throughout this this episode is how culpable is death cast anyway in it in in the deaths themselves like yeah he kind of touches on that so (laughs) i don't know it's it's a weird response to that that question i agree like yeah really okay (laughs) yeah it's so strangely assertive and i he kind of answers it he kind of gives away his plays his own hand in the same essay because he talks about how much he fears dying so i guess his his answer is coming from this basic fear that he has. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone is at least thinks of and if not fears in different registers death, of course. But I don't. Yeah, again, I, I don't want to say arrogant because it feels a little too, I don't know, harsh or rude. I'm not trying to bash his interpretation of his own kind of philosophy, but it just struck me as such an oddly strong response. Like, uh, yeah. hell yeah. It's like, uh, really? Have you not? I mean, <laughs> the funny thing, of course, if I wanted to be really flip, you know, I'll do my, I'll do this like half jokingly, but like some of the shoddiness of this world building shows that like, he really should think more deeply about this question. I don't <laughs> yeah. like he, to be fair to me and to him, of course, he put forth a 360 page project, giving us a kind of answer to what he thinks about this and i think it's kind of shallow <laughs> so it's like yeah. i don't think he fully considered all of the ramifications of his core idea perhaps you know perhaps i think the book has its own clear theses and and some interesting stuff in it of course some good character stuff but like if that's what he's reflecting on after this big book that he wrote i'm like shit man i don't I don't think you've got an answer yet. I think you've got to keep going with this or like, you know, where's the, you got to have, if you're doing your research for your novel, like who's your, you got to have the editor who's like your counter editor, who's like really, you know, poking at you to be like, hey, you should read right. this or what right. about this philosopher? Like, how does this complicate your ideas or what, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't think he had that person. It doesn't seem like it then if that's what he's <laughs> walking away with. So yeah. anyway, I just, that quote really hit me. I was stunned when I read that. <laughs> so, yeah. Death cast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hell yeah. Hell yeah, I, death cast. <laughs> it, for one, okay, so for, let me let me lay into this, because there's so many ways to it. I, I realize now I haven't leveraged my own, like, actual specific criticism, because I've just been a little shocked by it. Here's one. Here's, I'll throw one out there. Um, in his essay, he talks about how he, like, wouldn't want to be doing boring shit. The laundry, doing chores, like, he, you know, get rid of all that, it's my final day. Like, are we not sophisticated enough to think that, like, some human routine is a peaceful like good like that's a perfectly valid peaceful way to live a day like it it just has this weird priority porn like prioritization of like extreme you got to do the coolest shit all the time like you're not living if you're contentedly having a routine and a calm family existence and like cooking a meal you like every like it's it just it has this kind of 
I don't know, like ESPN extreme games philosophy of life where it's just like, if you're not pushing it to the limit, bro, are you even alive? Now, granted, the story is a little kinder than my, you know, own skewed reading just now. But I think that would be the first criticism I'd bring up where it's like, yeah, let's suppose a person does die suddenly on a day when they live normally and had a little joy, but not a ton, maybe a little sadness, but not a lot. And they just kind of hummed through a day like it, what human life, what human civilization, what epoch has not been defined by that? Like, that's just what human life is, man. <laughs> like, right. that's what, yeah, like it's, if we were all extreme sports cliff diving every day, there's no civilization that's ever existed that maintains that life. So like, why are we <laughs> yeah. degrading the other things so much in life? <laughs> like, it's, there's that for one. I, that's like a criticism we can at least dig into. Um, so ju- I just wanted to throw one out there because I realized I was being a little flip without being specific. But there's one, so there you go. <laughs> Perhaps a problem with your philosophy of Deathcast. Um, anyway, yeah. Any any thoughts on the quote after my twenty? <laughs> was that thirty minute rant? So you want to dig in here? <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> yeah, just messy though. Would you would you uh, sign up? Let's say it was opt in. We can be we can be a little imaginative here. I don't I don't know that I would. What if how about this cuz I would opt in after an, I bet after a certain age. I bet if I live to 60, I'd be like, "Well, you know what? Yeah, whatever. Like I did a couple of the main things. I'm past some barriers, you know, there's there's like I've turned some corners that I can't go back. Sure, let me know." Like, but there's no way I would do it when I'm like 20 or 30 or like there's no way it would stress yeah. me out endlessly. <laughs> yeah. That's um, the thing is like, I, I don't want my last day to be the most stressful day of my life either. So like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's uh, I, yeah, it would have to depend on so much of the service. Of course, there's also the idea of like, if it was opt in, then wouldn't you constantly, then of course society would fragment along those lines probably. And then people would develop certain signifiers or like the yellow armband is the, why am I thinking of that? I don't know why, but it's like, I was thinking back in like Chinese history, like yellow turban rebellion or some weird kind of, but like, it's like, I wear this, I wear green, I wear a left-handed green glove if I'm, you know, dying today. But it, but then people would fake that and lie about it. And then that would be a little strategy. I don't know. There's just so many spirals to this question that, yeah. I feel like, or obviously the book doesn't tackle. So anywho, so should we just shut it down now? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, enough rambling for me. What was your critical assistance, Amanda? What'd you bring? Um, I pulled from a website called the real, I think it's called. It's like mm-hmm. uh, local highlights, the real. Um, anyway, it's called, they both die at the end book review. And it's by Isabella Estupinen. <laughs> Estupinian? Estupinian. Estupinian. Yeah, that's okay. Pinin. I don't know. I am E-S-T- so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> E-S-T- I mean, we're, I'm worse at pronouncing than anyone. E-S-T-U-P-I-N-A-N. So, yeah. for the listeners. Estupinan. Estupinan. There we Estupinan. go. That sounds okay. right. Cool. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, fairly positive in the review overall. Um, mm-hmm. She writes, Adam Silvera creates an immersive, futuristic... New York City setting that will leave the reader wondering if what he wrote on the page may one day become a reality, while also letting the reader come to their own conclusions about the moral implications of a service that lets people know the day of their death. I was like, ah, immersive? 
I don't know about that. Um, just because, like, we've talked about, like, the the fact that there's not a whole lot of world building. We do get a lot of, like, modern day references of, like, apps. And there's Instagram still in this futuristic New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually just, it's just a present day. I feel like it's present day with the addition of Deathcast. Um, yeah, 100%. There's literally nothing else different. (laughs) Even every social media example is already a thing that exists online. Even the death cast, we were both intrigued by their office setup. That's literally what Facebook does at its content review centers where people just have to watch videos of suicide and murder all day to like strip it out of the face. Have you read about these people? No, but good it's God, literally, what a terrible It's literally job. the same thing because they have to have these huge content farms where these like office buildings filled with people that just do content review all day because there's some when if a post gets posted, people flag it and then somebody has to review it. They don't have algorithms for everything. Like they don't right. have automatic image detection for every single human occurrence yeah you should go there was like a couple big like i wouldn't say bombshell because the conditions are what you'd think they are (laughs) like it's a low-paying tech job with like mediocre conditions and there's like a therapist there but there's one therapist for like a thousand people you know it's it's what you'd expect um but like that stuff is stripped pretty much from facebook's content moderation issues (laughs) so it's like there's no there's no issue in this book that is not just a real life thing faces of death that's a real thing that people do for years about the Darwin Awards. People make jokes about silly ways to die all the right. time. Like right. it, people paying for strange services and trying to gambling to an extent. Obviously, this is a really perverse version of like gambling or betting. So but uh, yeah, it, anyway, sorry to go off on a tangent. Oh, that, yeah, that's great. I had no idea about the Facebook thing. That's yeah. Really yeah. Sad. That makes sense. Um but yeah, um, letting the reader come to their own conclusion about the moral implications definitely lets us come to our own conclusions because he barely touches on them. So agree with that part. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, um. Yeah, I don't. I'm going to pass on that criticism. Not wouldn't agree with most of that. So yeah, um, Silvera manages to make these transitions from different perspectives flow effortlessly embedding details in each account that are guaranteed to weave together a greater image as the novel progressive um, progresses rather. Um, so I don't know if these perspectives flow effortlessly. I'm thinking, especially of the one that we've been talking about this episode, which is the, the suicide bomber We're we're still like not hundred percent sure about like what, what that all is about, but like, yeah, the 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 perspectives all except for that one kind of intertwine in some way, leading up to ultimately Mateo and Rufus's deaths. But I don't know that it's necessarily effortless. He doesn't transition except to put in a different time and a, a the name of the yeah. person. So so that one, I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Um, and then yeah, the final I, the, thing that the I the transition think. piece. Um, sorry, I'll I'll speak no, on this good. briefly, I guess. But the the yeah. transition piece, I actually kind of do ride with. The two narratives do blend pretty well together. Like yes, pretty, the two major that, narratives do. Yeah, yeah, and I do think that while we criticize the voices and some of the way that stuff has been realized in this specifics, overall though, it does it does hum. You know, it whether mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I guess that's all I'd say. 
Um, and then the final thing that I, I pulled is this book is this book truly is amazing. And I, for one, would recommend it to just about everyone. I actually finished it in one day, unable to put it down once I started. My favorite part of the novel was the relationship between Mateo and Rufus, which will leave even the most stone-hearted person sheepishly smiling down at the pages. However... It was the ending that stuck with me the most after reading the novel, and I spent a good number of days lying awake at night thinking about the last chapter. So, mm -hmm. um, I think that the book is great, um, and it is a very fast read. I also, like, I read the first two parts, I think, like, in one sitting, and then I read the last two parts in an even shorter sitting. <laughs> so uh, it is a very fast read um, and it's also compelling in a lot of ways so I, mm -hmm. I did enjoy that and I also agree with her that the relationship between Mateo and Rufus is like the best part of the novel um, certainly yeah certainly yeah it is the um, novel and the last chapter was pretty meaningful <laughs> too yeah mm -hmm. what'd you yeah. like about the ending the most I guess we did touch on it briefly I I just like that the way that Rufus goes is just a reflection. And, and it also maybe helps him to understand why his family didn't fight back the way that he thought they should have. Um, mm. Because it's like it, it seems like the focus is so much on Mateo because Mateo's um, personal journey is like, so outwardly revealing where he's like actually yes. getting out there. But Rufus's is more of like an emotional growing up in a lot of ways and like yeah, personal yeah. understanding of himself and his family. And so that final chapter just really cements that. And I thought that was really nice. Totally. Yeah. That's a great way to end it too. In terms of discussion, yeah. I thought it was a quieter moment, better realized perhaps a bit more subtle. Yeah. I just, yeah, I was, I was hung up. I think a lot on his dialect, his vo inner voice, and some of that that we talked about. But no, I think emotionally, it is a pretty good ending. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we both mentioned this, but to, in regards of that final line of criticism by that person, by that woman, yeah, the both of the deaths, right? They weren't shocking because of the page count and you know the ending, <laughs> but they were. I thought well done. It was just so great that it didn't end it with the gunfight. That was, yeah, I felt like they were the right abruptness the right kind of brutal but then it gives you just enough time to pay off and it it kind of allow, gives itself time to breathe weirdly with rufus then because he dies later a little bit and right. all that so it's yeah i don't know it just widely kind of worked i think it was mm -hmm. smooth it was graceful i guess yeah cool any final thoughts on those criticisms or the book itself nope no no final words on they both die at the end this podcast will soon die in a way. So <laughs> uh, when We've it received ends, the call, guys. <laughs> uh -huh, yeah, we have to shut this production down. It's time to wrap it up. Okay. Uh, no final thoughts you said, though, on the book itself? Any Anything? Nah, I'm good. I thought it was just fine. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't mad at it. It was not, um, I think, given it's an expectation thing, I still would, would not put this in the Trevor Noah group of my reactions or something, which I had a... Mm -hmm more maybe more visceral almost reaction to that but this was i thought it was fine you know it had a couple good ideas i'd maybe pursued things that i wasn't thinking or hoping it would but in the end a solid story of friendship and romance i, I guess in the end um yeah I, I did enjoy this so yeah we'll get to that in the recommendations cool um before we wrap up 
couple reminders. We are, as we've talked about, the Light Literary Podcast. Thanks for listening all the way through the episode. We always appreciate that. Thanks for sticking with us through all my ramblings. <laughs> Amanda's <laughs> insights and Travis's ramblings. That's what we're rebranding as. <laughs> a little bit of ramble, a little bit of insight, you know, a little bit each. Uh, take a bite each. We do have other books coming up in order, so Amanda will tell you about those briefly. If you're curious what we're reading next, take it away. Yeah, next is the novel Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. Mm -hmm. And we've got a nonfiction work by Jill Lavoie called Ghettoside. And then we have another young adult fiction, um, which is We Are Okay, and that's by Nina LaCour. Excellent, yeah. A solid set of books coming up. Something Wicked This Way Comes. I'm hoping that this book did not bring quite enough weirdness for me. I wanted it to be weirder, you know, or go harder in some weird directions. I want the weirdness then. I hope Ray Bradbury delivers. I hope it's an odd one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got magic in it, so... For sure, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful for that. We'll see how it goes. And then back to some nonfiction, I think it's about time, so... Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, well, follow us on any podcast platform of your choice. Give us a five-star rating, please, and thank you. We always appreciate <laughs> that. And of course, until next time, we'll see you between the pages. 